welcome to Fusion Fantasy Football. Today I have a special guest, and it's fitting that I have this guest on this time of year especially, since he was actually the very first guest of the podcast over one year ago. I believe it was June 2018. Since then, uh, he is a bona fide published analyst with at least two that I know of featured articles on playerprofiler.com. If he has any others he's hidden from me, um, I'll make him tell me very soon. But it is, of course, our very own Josh Crocker. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Great, great. Uh, thanks for filling in a little bit short notice, but we've been talking about doing this for a while, so it was overdue anyway. I was just saying anytime, no, no problem filling in. Well, we've got a couple things that we, we uh, like talking about, and uh, if anyone's out there, I keep saying it, you really do need to get a hold of me and tell me you want an invite to the Fusion FFB chat room. You'll have uh, me and guys like Josh here in there, and we're always talking about something fantasy football. Sometimes not, but usually. And uh, lots of fun stuff comes up there. Lots of good points get made. Not always ones I agree with even, but still usually good points, informed people are in there. So even if you just want to hang out and listen, if you want to ask questions, and maybe you've got some uh, some knowledge that you heard or read or something you researched yourself to share, even better. So hit me up with a, a DM on Twitter, at FusionFFB, email FusionFFB at gmail.com. Let me know it's on GroupMe, so if you already have that, that's even better. But uh, we're, we've got a couple ideas of things we want to talk about here, a couple things that came up. One of the things that came up in yesterday's and this morning's chat, and I, I said, well, Josh, let's just talk about that tonight. And it is a few major players that are returning from ACLs that, it, it, to me and to Crocker, it seemed like some people seem to be forgetting this. And... I see projections and rankings that don't really seem to account for the fact that, hey, these guys had mid-season ACLs. So uh, the first one is, of course, Cooper Cup. Now, Crocker, what do we know about Cooper Cup and his ACL? Well, we know that he went down in week 10, and so he has not had nearly the 12 months that we'd like to see for a player to be able to, to fully recover from that. And, you know, we learned some things last year watching Dalvin try to come back maybe on a rush timeline where when they, when they try to push that, they see other injuries, they have hamstring strains. So, you know, I feel like expecting much from Cooper cup before we've had a full 12 month cycle is just very optimistic. It feels to me, I was just reminded when you were saying that, it feels to me a lot like, also like uh, Carson Wentz last season. I remember it was about this time in the summer last year when I was saying, I am more confident about Andrew Luck starting week one than Carson Wentz. And some people uh, thought I was a little crazy at the time. And it should have not have been that crazy because of how Carson Wentz had such a late ACL 
And again, he tried rushing it back and he didn't make it back. So Cooper Cup says he's doing fine, but especially he's a receiver. So correct me if I'm wrong. I, we're not, neither of us are doctors. We just try to listen to informed people and people who are doctors. And uh, it might be a little easier for the receivers in the fact that it's straight line running is fine. But you can see it, especially with the running backs. And from what I understand, also more of the stop and start cut and go, which Cooper cut in, in the slot would need to do. So it seems to me, even if you see training camp videos of him running fast in a straight line, um, I'm not buying it. I could easily see him missing a few weeks or at least being limited at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I just I think that the difference in the NFL between being 95% back and being 100% back could easily be the difference between getting the target share you earned before the injury and just being a very diminished version of that by NFL standards. And, and I also think that like with Cooper Cup, nobody is thinking uh, burner. No one is thinking that this is a guy who needs all of the athleticism to do what he does on the field. But I would still be very cautious with him before at least midseason. Well, like I said, that may actually be that we may have that connotation of thinking that he doesn't need that power, but that may actually be the reverse of reality where it's more about the start and stop and that confidence and being able to make the hard cuts and Cooper Cup might need that more, more than someone like the next guy we wanted to talk about, which is Will Fuller. I mean, Will Fuller might be better off because he, he can just make a slight, you know, angle cut and run fast and go. And maybe he'll be okay. But he had a week eight ACL. And uh, so he has a couple weeks on Cup. I haven't heard much. Have you heard much about his recovery? I know Cooper Cup was saying he's fine, but I haven't heard anything about Fuller. No, I I really hadn't. And in fact, I think this might be part of the reason why some of these guys fly under the radar with their injuries because it, it's becoming a relatively routine procedure, and the, you know they've gotten better at it. And so you don't you don't hear anything. You just expect to see them back next season. But a, a week eight ACL still does not afford him that twelve month cycle. And and Fuller had other reasons to be concerned beyond the injury you know he's also got kiki kuti cutting into his target share and so if he is not what he was before it, it just seems like w with cup I, I feel like his team really needs him and they are better with him on the field with fuller i feel like he could be more easily supplanted and the team could go in another direction so if they have to go for a few weeks without him, he could essentially not lose his job, but lose a good portion of his target share uh, that he would have gotten otherwise. Yeah, the the splits with him and Kuti. So when when both of them are on the field, Kuti is taking significant work away from Fuller. Fuller's target share drops, and he's he's already not getting such a huge share that he can afford to to give up much you know I, he's already that that down the field 
efficiency-based type of a player, for him to lose any volume at all, I think, pushes him to the boundaries of, of being usable in a season-long long league. Well, we talked about the receivers, and of course I did mention that maybe it's not as bad for the wide receivers, but we've seen ACLs, uh, like you said, Dalvin Cook, take a hard toll on the running backs. And the notable name in the running backs is, of course, Geis. And uh, it was the first preseason weekend games that he went down with an ACL. And we've seen the videos of him running straight lines and all that. Same thing. Um, I do think he can be back. He quite easily could be playing week one. I just continue to question whether or not, first of all, that's advisable. If you push it, he may it may show up as injuries in other ways, such as Dalvin Cook. Um, and then he may not just have the full confidence and full uh, power that he is used to having, and so it may impede his, his actual performance. I, I'm pretty worried about guys. Even if you're willing to afford him uh, a full recovery cycle and just say, okay, it was preseason. He's had plenty of time to get right, even though we know he had some setbacks and infections. If we just put all of that back, I, I think there are other reasons to be concerned with him here. The team has Adrian Peterson on the roster who Adrian Peterson, you got to love him. He's under the impression that, you know, he's the starter thousand yard season. He, he thinks, it's the Adrian Peterson show regardless. And besides Adrian Peterson, Chris Thompson is also coming back from injury. And I know we, it's easy to bury Chris Thompson and say he's always hurt. But when he is right and when he is on the field, he is one of the most electric pass catching backs in the NFL. And I don't think that that should be discounted. So Darius guys could be in a touch squeeze Sort of like, you know, like what Amir Abdullah was in Detroit. I think Darius Geis is a lot more talented, but it could be a slow year for him coming back. And honestly, that might be the best team decision. And I think that's why they re-signed Adrian Peterson. Um, so I, and you did, you mentioned it. I did not mention it before. I was going to get to it, but he did have uh, infections and they had to redo some of the surgery I'm not sure exactly when that was. It was sometime around the new year, if I recall, December, January. And I don't know. I have not been able to track down exactly how far that would push back his recovery. And I don't mean specifically him because we don't have access to his information, his doctors, but just a general uh, diagnosis. I don't know how much that pushes him back. I've got to think it's got to be a couple months at least. Um, yeah, it could be. It could be significant if the infection was to the point that they had to go back in and do anything else to that ligament. I could see it as being like a reset. I, I you know I don't know that. I'm guessing, yeah. but how extensive the redoing of the surgery was, I don't know. You're right. It to me, it's really tough to trust. I see, keep seeing guys taken. What is he in the fifth round or something like that? And some people want to say he's a top 20 back. And I don't know if people are slowly fading off that now. Um, but 
I know a couple months ago that's that was the talk I was seeing and like you said I have a really tired time hard time seeing it he is someone I am going to stay away from in uh, any kind of single season redraft best ball kind of format yeah he's going in the fifth which is the same round as Cooper Cup by coincidence yep and those are two easy fades for everybody out there yeah in the same round you have Calvin Ridley Chris Godwin there, there are just better options there. Robert Woods is going just ahead of him. If you, yeah, if there's someone out there who is telling you that Cooper Cup is going to score more points or should be ranked above either Robert Woods or somehow Brandon Cooks for 2019, I understand not Dynasty, just for 2019. Um, you need to ask them what they think about this and his injury and and really really question them and and put on some uh, critical thinking cap here and say what's going on how in the world can he finish ahead of the other two wide receivers who have finished ahead of him in the past years on top of his coming back from injury so that's all i'm gonna say there i i hate telling people to not listen or follow unfollow other other people or accounts or podcasts or anything but you you do need to apply some critical thinking and uh it's a little discernment and say okay what's going on here how do you have cooper cup ranked ahead of woods or or uh, cooks i I think there may be a real opportunity in figuring out who is going to step into uh a role before cooper cup is back at 100 percent. it could be josh reynolds that would maybe be the most obvious choice, but it could also be Gerald Everett. And I'm not sure which one it's going to be. Uh, Josh Reynolds had a couple of good weeks last year in the absence of Cooper Cup. So I guess that gives him the inside track, but Gerald Everett is still interesting. Reynolds did have several good games and there were a few duds in there, but he actually had a pretty strong stretch as soon as, Cup was uh, finally fully out after that like, week 10, like I think you said. So um, he, he obviously, like you said, has an inside track. Everett, there's been always hype around Everett, and there was more hype again. This this OTA is saying how he's tearing it up. So he could be an interesting kind of dark horse tight end to keep an eye on out there. We say that every year, but I don't know what it is. It's just I don't know whether it's McVay and we can debate about that and coaches and tight ends usage, but I don't know how much of that's McVeigh and his proclivity for having you know the three wide receivers out there, or he just didn't have tight ends that were ready to step up and perform at a level that uh, justified taking the third receiver off or limiting their usage. Because you could technically run, you know, three wide receivers plus one tight end, one running back. But uh, they often, when they do have a successful receiving tight end, usually Higby and him are actually often both out there. I think whoever between Reynolds and Everett shows the ability in camp will, will I think McVeigh will find a way to make use of that player. And it's not like Woods is has the best health track i mean health history either now nothing major but he has been known to 
have nagging injuries and miss games here and there. So um, I have actually been buying Josh Reynolds very, very late in a lot of different, uh, especially startups, because he has dynasty value as well, because you could see them moving on from Woods. Uh, it's a stretch to say next year, but um, especially if there's injuries. And again, even just this year with Cup. So anything more to add on those? There's some other names here that I was going to mention, but just as, hey, remember, these guys got injured. But did you have anything mentioned on those three big names? No, I think we covered it. Okay. A couple other names to keep an eye on out there. Of course, Hunter Henry technically did return last year. It was in the playoffs. Um, regardless what Stephen A. Smith may have told you, it was in the playoffs that he returned. Uh, and then Dion Kane in Indianapolis. I don't know. There's been buzz about him last year, and they keep on talking about him this year, having legitimate chance to be the uh, slot receiver there, even though they did draft uh, Paris Campbell. So he's an interesting name just to keep an eye on. And then, of course, you have Jimmy Garoppolo, who I believe it was week three had his ACL. So he's had plenty of time. It's usually not as as rough on quarterbacks. Um, But like we said, Carson Wentz last year, his ACL was, what, week 13, I believe, something like that. So obviously he was way behind what Garoppolo is. So we do expect Garoppolo to be ready week one, but something just, again, to be aware of and keep an eye on. We don't want to forget that these guys are, you know, humans with bodies that need recovery time. I think the Jack Doyle injury that you've got listed down here could be could be interesting because if he's if he's not ready to go, I, that's a pretty significant boost to Eric Ebron. In my I do, opinion, I do remember reading somewhere that that's a hip injury that um, can be quite quite bad for for especially bigger receivers um, and 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 has had a history. I'm just I'm going off memory right here, so I, I shouldn't say too much. But I just do recall reading that it was a, a pretty serious um, injury that could affect future seasons even, or at least the following season. So that's that's one to, to keep an eye on and maybe look into a little bit more. And I can do that and mention it maybe on next pod, follow up on that for you. Um, another tight end that uh, some injuries that are more relevant, I guess, to this season because they kind of happened this year in a sense. Tyler Croft had... a uh, broken arm back in OTAs and he's I mean that was a couple months ago now and it was about a four month recovery for him at the time so I believe I heard by the end of September he should be back in Buffalo remember he went to Buffalo so a lot of people like Dawson Knox the rookie there rookie tight end but he is a rookie tight end rookie and tight end usually don't go together at least not in the early weeks so um I could easily see Tyler Tyler Croft. I think there is a position, there is a, a a role for tight end in that offense. People have rightly been saying that when they're talking about Dawson Knox. So I just think they may have the wrong tight end. And come midseason, we might be streaming Tyler Croft. I know earlier in his career in Cincinnati, he was running a lot of routes. And even if he was not 
super productive, I feel like that's a good a good signal for a young tight end that he's just he's getting snaps, he's out there running routes, and when a team for whatever reason is willing to continue to give a player that kind of run, I think more likely than not the production follows. And routes are pretty much one of the most important things. Uh, I just recently saw Scott Barrett's uh, put out what I see him put out every year where he takes different stats uh, and see how which one of them correlates the strongest to fantasy points for each position. And of course, for running backs at snaps, you know, just being out there and you get more. For wide receivers, it's, you know, you would expect it's routes and targets. But oddly enough, the the highest... Uh, the highest corresponding stat other than receptions, you know, is routes run for tight ends specifically to a much higher degree than any other position. So you want the route running tight end and the fact that Cincinnati had confidence to keep him out there, keep him running routes, that I agree, that speaks to him and the kind of role that the coaches uh, saw fit for him. And so he easily could take that back, um, take that position that he was supposed to have going in, take it back once he returns. The other one in here that's concerning is, of course, Marquise Brown, the rookie wide receiver drafted in the first round to to, uh, Baltimore. And he has that dreaded Liz Frank injury and surgery. He did have the surgery at least. They keep saying he'll be back and ready for week one, but in the meantime, he's missing all kinds of camps. We'll see see how much preseason he misses. It's it's going to be a rough start of the season for Marquise Brown. However, whatever however you feel about him, whatever you think about him, it's going to be a rough start. Just you know, rookie, even a first round rookie wide receiver, like for example, Nikhil Harry, who I like very much and would like to project everything for, I, I think in year one they averaged something like 16% target share. So, you know, you have to throttle that back a little bit for the for the foot injury. I think you have to expect a slower start for missing camp. I, I, all of this news about Marquise Brown to me just says that he's, he's going to be cheaper this time next year if you really like him. Agreed, because his his Marquise Brown's size and his projected role as that speedster already requires, you know, a certain level of athleticism, and he's already pigeonholed into that role. So you you limit him at all in any way, and you know what else is he going to do if he can't beat those just outright beat the cornerbacks down the field you know he can't go up and beat them for it he can't out muscle them so he's already going to be limited and it just further limits him if he has any kind of athletic uh downside i would also like to see lamar jackson just uh feed that type of a receiver uh you know the downfield threat I'm not sure exactly how the two of them fit together. You know, and it could be it could be a thing that works. You know, the the mobile QB with the 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 high 
depth to target is a thing we've seen before. Cam Newton likes to take shots downfield, but I just I want to see it from Lamar first. Yeah, I mean, guys like uh, McNabb to Deshaun Jackson come to mind. I mean, something like that. It could work. It could absolutely work. It might be inconsistent still. So uh, there's that. But again, it's just going to take a lot of things going right for him. And I fear I fear for at least the first half of his season. Because there's going to be a few games, once he's even healthy, where it's just like, it's basically his camp. <laughs> you know? So... Yeah, all right. So, all right. We got all that out of the way. Now we're going to get to the fun stuff. So, like I said, Josh was my first guest, and he was also the first time I debuted when he was on. We debuted the fake football fight. We do not have a fake football tonight, but we will be introducing a new game I have for guests and it's, it's uh, kind of in the same vein, but it's a little bit more of a quick-hitting thing, and it's not going to be quite as in-depth. Uh, I'm calling it Agree to Disagree. Um, we're not saying that we're going to peaceably go our separate ways, not at all. We are instead agreeing to, before we even go any further, we're going to agree that we're going to disagree on these topics. So well, how this works is I have a few different topics of debate here. You know, I'm just going to label one A side or heads and the other's tails. And, uh, you know, we both know what these topics are ahead of time, but neither of us knows right now at this moment which side we will be debating for. We're going to let chance decide that. We're going to flip a coin and we have to argue on behalf of whichever side we get, even if we don't actually believe or agree with that side. So please... Please do remember that and don't hold any bad arguments against us. This is just an exercise in uh, in debate, in trying to uh, see other sides of a, a of a topic, and just try to explore a few different things. Um, we're not really going to come to any winners or losers here. We're going to let you guys decide that. But we just want to explore and dive into some of these. Uh, different topics now a lot of these like I said this isn't fake football fight so we haven't really dug really deep into each and every one of these but they are, are topics we are familiar with and we're just going to go at it now um, the first one I'm going to pull a bit of an audible here I'm not going to go I'm going to go with Ertz versus Kittle first here we're not always going to do... I don't want this segment to just be arbitrary player versus player. Usually there needs to be some kind of significant connection. It's not going to be just, you know, is it Dalvin Cook or Nick Chubb? Is it going to be uh, Saquon Barkley or Ezekiel Elliott? It's not going to just be that. But this is a case where you've got two big-name tight ends this season that are... Uh, I've seen Kittle go the number one tight end not so much but maybe in dynasty but i've definitely seen him go ahead of Ertz, and i have seen Ertz ranked and going ahead of kittle so what do you want josh do you want to be heads or tails uh, i'll go tails you'll be tails all right we are flipping the commemorative u.s uh thomas jefferson one dollar coin here in honor of fourth of july and 
so heads is Thomas Jefferson's own head and uh, tails is, I believe it is the Statue of Liberty. So if you get tails, you get, we'll just say whoever gets theirs gets A and the other one gets B. We'll alternate. I'll let you go first this time. So do do I pick the topic? You already picked the topic, right? Yeah, I'm going to flip the coin. This is uh, Ertz is A and Kittle is B. So if you win it, if you get if we get tails for you, you're going to be arguing for Ertz. Here we go. Okay. Coin flip. Here we go. Tails, you get Ertz. Okay. Oh, I don't think he wanted that. That's it. <laughs> Which is perfect. That's the way this game is supposed to work. All right. Go ahead. It works poker face. Okay, so the argument for for Ertz is just that going in any other direction at at this point is is getting a little cute. Okay? Zach Ertz led the position in targets with 156. He he had a 26% target share. On a team that is very pass-heavy in the Eagles, they ran the number seven. Uh, they, they were seventh in the league in pass plays run. He, he this he's everything that you want. He is not the the shiny new George Kittle, but he has done this. This is not his first year being a top three tight end. I think that people are just a little infatuated with the up and coming potential of George Kittle, which is fine. But points over potential is what wins in fantasy football. And I think that the, the surest points are Zachert's. Okay, okay. Look, it's hard to, to argue against Ertz's consistency these past years. Um, I'm not going to argue so much against Ertz. I just think he, he kind of capped out. I don't see how he can do better than last season. And you sit, look, the same can be said about Kittle to an extent. But here's the thing with Kittle. Yes, yes, his yards after catch was ridiculous. Yes, yes, he had the most yards of any tight end season. But here's the thing. He only had five touchdowns. He only had five touchdowns. And he really only had 136 targets, which seems like a lot. And it is for a tight end. But then you consider Kelsey Ertz. You're getting that and more. Someone like Eric Ebron last year is getting, what, 111 or something like that. I mean, that's not far behind. That's not ridiculous. He's got other receivers there, but that whole pie of that whole offense can grow. So there's still plenty of room for Kittle to get just as much volume. His efficiency may go down, but his touchdowns, really honestly, according to just what he should be getting for that position with that much work, he should be getting more. He should have more like seven or eight touchdowns. Just if we're just going to go with normal average rates, he's low at only five. So uh, his his catch rate could technically go, has room to go up. So we talk about efficiency on yards after the catch, but he he could he could have more receptions on all those targets, only 88 receptions on 136 uh, targets. He could easily break that. Basically, what I'm saying is Kittle has room to grow in different areas to offset what he needs to lose in just the raw yardage, which was crazy. I fully admit that. Meanwhile, Ertz is getting older. There's more receivers and healthy receivers coming back. Last year, he was inflated because of how many injuries to receivers they had. 
So if Ertz could not beat Kittle last year, I see no reason why he can beat him this year. Well, Kittle does have to deal with a change in quarterback. So he did the the majority of his damage was done with Nick Mullins. And then he's also got an emerging Dante Pettis, who, while he probably is not going to take over the number one target share, just demanding more could be enough to put Ertz, not Ertz, Kittle, you know, just at the bottom of this top three tight end tier. All right, all right. So you just think that it's there's not enough. but So you're not buying my point that that, that offense has room to grow as a whole, more targets to grow as, as a whole. I, I, to be honest, I do buy it. I think with Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> no, Josh, that's not how this works. <laughs> um, I will say, I will say, for, for Ertz, I have no problem with Ertz. I actually just drafted Ertz in um, my Dynasty Eliminator. Uh, are there still any more open? Are they probably all closed? I would give him a shout out, but just in case there, go check it out. Um, John Bosch runs those. It's all goes towards fantasy cares. Great, uh, great charity, but I did just draft Ertz. Um, and I have no problem with that in a single season league. He's going to be solid worst case. Yeah. I think it'll, I do actually think it'll can be better. Um, but I mean, worst case he's third. So it's it's really not is not a big deal here. I will say when it comes to dynasty, I would be more concerned for Ertz um, because after this year he's going to be in thin ice, and then two years from now, it's very likely he's gone if Dallas Goddard, you know, shows up and becomes anything. They are not going to have the money to to keep Ertz around, and he's getting older. He's already. He kind of was an older breakout to begin with. He was around for a couple seasons uh, in the league before he had his big breakouts. So he's twenty-eight. He's twenty-eight. Yeah. So two years, he's going to be thirty, and they're going to have a young, up-and-coming tight end again. Keeping on how Dallas Goddard does. So a lot of projecting there. Contract. I think the contract will be the thing that uh, yes. that ends Ertz's reign in Philadelphia, and and just the fact that they do have Goddard, who seems to have a lot of potential. You know, I, I don't know how much I really want to bank on Goddard for 2019 redraft, but eventually, I think the contract is going to not make sense for the Eagles. And I'm not saying Goddard has to become what Ertz is either. Understand that. I'm just saying he just has to become a reasonable alternative for them to be comfortable walking away from having to pay Ertz a ton of money, basically. Yeah, especially if uh, our Sega Whiteside develops like they hope he does. You know, if if Zach Ertz is not still the main pillar of their passing game, it will be even easier for them to move on. Absolutely. All right, we're going to move on to the next one. We're going to go to something that's not players. We're going to go to uh, a little bit of a narrative here. Now, Josh is a bit of a, a fellow narrative uh, dragon slayer. We, we have fun trying to knock down some of these narratives. So I'm not sure even which side of these he... he I, I'm pretty sure I know which side of this he falls on, actually. I, I said that the wrong way. Um, the debate is what drives... Well, what is the primary driver for a player's volume or opportunity? And it, well, first of all, I want to clarify with you: is that the same thing to you, or do you want to specify that volume opportunity? 
I think we can just say it's the same thing for this. Okay. For this, yeah. So is it the player and their talent or is it the coach and their system? Which is the, I should say, they're both factors. We would always agree both are factors, but we're looking for arguing over which is the primary, which is the larger uh, driver here. So I'm going to flip again. You are, of course, um, Tails, like you said, Tails is coaches. So if uh, you get Tails again, you have to go with coaches. And I will start first either way here. If it lands heads, I will be coaches. I think I said that wrong. It's not the side that is the, uh, the, the, whoever gets, whoever wins the coin toss gets coaches. This is all new, guys. We threw this together <laughs> earlier today. Here goes the flip. Oh, okay. I have to argue for coaches. Okay. I won. Thank it God. was heads. I have to argue for coaches, which was uh, what Josh was dreading having to do. All right. I'm going to go ahead. I'll start out on coaches. Look, we all know, we all know that the idea that player and their talent is what drives their opportunity and their volume. But let's be honest, that is naive, just, you know, flowers and rainbows thinking that's not how it really works uh the coaches has their system and that may be stupid yes we fully agree it would in a perfect world the players should be driving the opportunity and the volume but the fact is these stupid coaches have their systems have their plays have their roles and they try to plug players into where they want them rather than building systems around their players. We see it time after time after time. Yes, there's going to be a few outlier coaches out there that you're going to try and throw at me, but the norm across the league is not Bill Belichick, you know, adjusting and re uh, reinventing their offense every other year, okay? The norm across the league is the coaches plugging in the players and saying, you're the new whatever, you do this and uh, they you can pretty much just assign target shares to those roles and uh, the, the talent just modifies it from there a little bit but primarily where a player slots in and at least starts out is all coaches so that 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 is completely completely wrong obviously uh, the best. <laughs> <laughs> the best example that I that that I can think of is Drew Brees. And for years and years, what we heard was Drew Brees likes to spread it around. It, you know, you had Colston, none of these receivers who were good players in their own right ever were able to dominate a big share of the Saints offense. And what do we have today? We have two players, Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, who together are over 50% of the Saints' targets. So that dynamic has completely flipped. And, you know, same quarterback, same coach. It, apparently it is not their scheme to always spread it around. Another example of this that I like to look at is Jarvis Landry. And when we had Todd Haley coming in to Cleveland – Todd Haley was going to make Jarvis Landry the next Antonio Brown, as he has, Todd Haley has made all of these other receivers. And we saw the experiment fail. 
we saw Jarvis Landry be seventh in targets and 25th in fantasy points per game. So all of these coaches, however innovative or, I don't know, dull they may be, they are so beholden to winning that I don't think that they can really afford to hold on to what they would like once they have seen what is happening on the field. And that is determined by players. So, you know, that is why I think players really drive things. Players are really the ones who are demanding more targets, demanding more carries, and really running the show. That's exactly what I thought you would say. So first of all, you started out by the first example you gave me was, you know, just happened to be one of the best all-time quarterbacks in the league, which we all know Drew Brees deserves to be considered, as well as the offensive mind of Sean Payton. So that is one of those outliers I was talking about. So thank you. I appreciate you moving on from that, at least, and giving me another example. Um, Todd Haley, not an offensive mind as much as uh, we... His, his history would tend to say he's fallen into a lot of cushy positions, it seems. But I, I think you betrayed yourself here because, uh, like you said, I do seem to think that uh, Jarvis Landry got a lot of targets last year, 149 targets. It seems to me that that role and that position and that offense with those coaches did try to use Jarvis Landry at the rate and with the amount of volume and opportunity that they wanted him to have. Now, we said nothing about actual production. We said nothing about actual production. So Jarvis Landry, yes, he wasn't good. It wasn't great. But they still tried to. So we can still be aware of the coaches and how they use players to know where they are going to be trying to give the opportunity and you know the volume. And from there, yes, we need to evaluate which players are actually gonna be able to do something with it, but we have to know which coaches and which players are in position in those coaches' systems to be able to take advantage of it. Okay, so Jarvis Landry's splits first half and the second half of the season, I just pulled up his target share. In the second half of the season, his target share fell almost 10% from 32 to 23 per FF statistics here. And I set the split at week eight just to make it an even half. So they, they have schemes, they have plans but they, they are so beholden to winning that I think they, they have to adjust them, even when they don't want to. I feel that the, the players on the field have the ability to force their hands. Mike Tyson used to say, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. And then you do whatever you got to do. Okay, here's the thing. The coaches are stupid, and it took them eight weeks to figure it out. Eight Weeks, you're right. It went from 11 point something targets per game down to 6.9. You're absolutely right. He almost, almost halved. 
his targets per game. 15, 7, 14, 10, 11, 10, 15, 12. Those are the first eight games. The next eight, 7, 5, 5, 9, 4, 8, 8, 9. Yes, you're right. Eventually, eventually the coaches are forced to change, to try to adapt, but it's usually too late. But that's secondary. The primary initial driver is the coacher's system. That's what they will try to use first. It goes from there, then talent. I just think that the long-term best bet is that the good players win out. Long-term. Yeah, yeah, and by long-term, you know, half a season. Okay, all right, game aside, I think this discussion is very productive because what we just highlighted is how it is both, but I agree the talent plays out over the long term, but week to week, this is where we can get an edge. And so you, you could say, going into the season, Jarvis Landry, they're going to try and give him targets. Even if neither of us believed he was going to look good with it, you can at least anticipate the volume. So there may be other situations in other teams where you look at it and and it's the combination of both the, the offense, the coach clearly wants to give someone work, and that player may really actually be talented. And so they are going to get not just, they're not going to just demand the work long-term starting week nine. They're going to start getting it week one. And those are going to be the the best of both worlds. So I think there is something to take from this, regardless of which one you really think is the primary um, at least in, you know, shorter-term perspective. If we're, we're drafting Dynasty for a two-year window or something, okay, maybe you want to throw that out and go just for the most talented players, but week-to-week, um, week, and especially redraft, I think it's valuable to be aware of both of these. I would also say that the wide receiver is a lot more capable of shifting the coach's scheme through their play than, say, a running back. Yes. You know, in a world where I heard the other day that something like 80% of yards per carry can be explained just by looking at how many people were in the box on a given play. So, you know, where, where a running back's efficiency is completely dependent on their circumstance, it, it would be very hard for an oper- uh, a running back who's not getting opportunity to have a big impact on a coach's scheme absolutely i'm glad you brought that up because um the talent aspect means a lot more for wide receivers and and tight ends to a certain extent as well than it does for running backs that's why going into the rookies i did landing spots you know for running backs but i hardly even bothered with the wide receivers because i mean it's such it's so much more talent based than uh than the running backs, which is opportunity and situation-based. All right, we're going to mix it up a little bit here. Um, We have A side is reclining your seat back on a plane, and B is, no, that's not cool. So 
we wanted to throw in a fun one here. Uh, I'm going to click the button here. I am going to click the button. So if it stays heads, that is me and I have to go for A. Here we go. Nope. You want it. Oh, this is perfect. All right. You have to argue for why it's okay to recline your seat back on a plane. And I am the opposite. Go ahead. It, it is okay to do because it is possible to do it. They, they have given you this seat that has a button. It, it's not as if these seats lay back. You get to move back five degrees into the, the person behind you. And if, they, if it was such a horrible thing to do, they should stop making it possible. It, you know, the person behind me has the same option that I do to recline their big five degrees. And if they choose not to do that, that's fine. But, you know, if I need to, I'm going to do that. I paid for my ticket. I paid for the use of that chair. And that includes my ability to recline. Oh, wow. That's, that's strong. That's strong. The, the libertarian argument right there. Um, look, he, here's the thing. And I mean, if it's a red eye flight and it's late and the lights are dimmed, I get it. I get it. Of course. Of course. But we're talking, you know, they're handing out drinks and the person just plump, throws their seat back on you. No warning. No, not, not a glance back. They don't ease it back. They just, boom, drop it down. Look, even if you're going to do it, you got to be considerate with it. It's just not cool. You can't just drop it on somebody. You got a drink on there. Maybe you're reaching down. I've done it before. I'm reaching down trying to get something on my bag, you know, and all of a sudden they just drop it right on you. And yeah, it may only be five degrees, but it's a good couple inches and there's not a lot of room there. And so a couple inches is the difference between you you know, an inch away from the seat back and them whacking you on the top of the head. So all I'm going to say is it's not cool. If you are in the right situation, be considerate with it. But largely, if it's a daytime flight, everyone's just sitting there hanging out. What are you going to lean back and take a nap on a on a one hour, two hour flight? You're going to lean back and take a nap when they're handing out drinks? Come on, just deal with it. Yeah, one, there's just been a lot of times in my life when a couple of inches would have made a lot of difference. And and two, it's it's a dick move. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't put your seat. <laughs> See, I'm actually fine. I'm fine with it. Go ahead and do it. Just, I do, I am serious. I really do believe the abruptness thing is the key issue here. It just ticks people off when they drop yeah. it in. So just, if just you knock someone's drink over it. because you just decided that that's not okay. Just, just ease it back. You know, just neither is slowly. any amount of disrobing on the plane. You keep your shirt on. I don't know. Shoes, maybe if you've got socks, that's pushing it. None of these things are okay on planes. Oh man, we're getting a whole, whole, whole other basket here. All right, we better move on here. We're going to go another, uh, this is a player versus player, but because uh, this is allowed, because it's the same team. So it is very, very relevant. Uh, we're going to go Tariq Cohen or Montgomery. We got the rookie versus the uh, incumbent, but they're kind of different style backs. There's a lot going on here. So 
I'm going to flip the coin. I'm going to start off whichever side I win. A side is Cohen. And what is the real debate here? I should maybe clarify. Who's going to finish with more points? Because I've seen people taking Monty Montgomery over Cohen for sure. I think more fantasy points is a fine, okay. fine argument. I think they're pretty even in a PPR league at least. All right, I am flipping the coin. And the winner is, hey, Tails, you've got Cohen. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start, though, so I'm going to start with Montgomery. So here's the thing about Montgomery. He uh, drafted in the third round. They traded up. I mean, the best comparable, and, and bear with me. I understand it's a little bit of a stretch, but the best comparable here is Kareem Hunt. You've got Nagy. He was with the Chiefs, and now he's with... He's uh, the the coach. He was a coordinator then with the Chiefs, and he's the coach now in Chicago. And same thing. They traded up to draft their running back, the guy they wanted, in the third. Now, I don't think it matters much just that he was in the third. I think it matters more that they traded up to get him. That shows a lot more intent. Here's the thing. He is known as a good receiving back in college. Like, this is one of the things he was best known for. So why in the world, you know, that hurts Cohen the most. I would almost have been better off, it obviously would have hurt Cohen the most if they'd kept Jordan Howard. Let's say all three of these guys were still on the same team. You'd almost see an easier path to Montgomery supplanting Cohen than Jordan Howard. Okay, but now we're anticipating Montgomery who's a decent-sized guy. I wouldn't call him a bruiser. He's not the fastest guy, but he's got good contact balance, supposedly. That's what I'm here. And he he can catch the ball. He's an all-around back. That's what Nagy wants. That's what he ran with the Chiefs, a guy who's out there every down, can catch the ball, can run the routes, but also just run up the middle. That's who he wants. He's picturing, he wants his Kareem Hunt. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Kareem Hunt, but that's the kind of role, going back again to coaches or players, this is a running back though. I think this is coach wants someone to take over a majority work of the share and let Cohen just be a satellite receiving back. Let him be the Chris Thompson, you know, but Montgomery is going to be way more than any back Chris Thompson's even had to compete with. So that's not even a good example. Um, they just want somebody who's out there. Maybe the best example I could come up with would be Melvin Gordon and Eckler in San Diego, where Eckler's out there catching the ball, putting up good points. That's exactly what I see Cohen doing. Meanwhile, Gordon was Melvin Gordon's getting a lot of targets of his own. And I think Montgomery's getting lots of targets of his own and be out there for majority of plays as a real running back. So what Tariq Cohen has going on here is that he he's not a rookie. He's already established in this offense with this coach. And in that year with this team, with Jordan Howard on the roster and with very limited opportunities, only 37.8 of the, the running back opportunity share, he was able to turn those opportunities into an RB11 finish. And he did that mostly through targets. He was the number six most targeted back in the NFL with 89 targets. I, I, I do not see a 
incredible situation where David Montgomery comes in year one and is able to crowd Tariq Cohen out more so than Jordan Howard was able to. I, I feel like Tariq Cohen is niched into his passing work sort of in the same way that James White is niched into his passing work. You know, Sony Michelle and Damian Harris can fight over the, the carries, but when they are throwing the ball, I think that they know that James White is their best player in that situation, and I think it's the same thing with Tariq Cohen catching the ball. I, I just I really like these these backs who are able to take limited touches like Duke Johnson and turn them into an RB1 season. I feel like that is a sure signal that you have just a very, very talented player. And even though he is small, 5'6", 179, this guy in college had 195, 197, 264 rushes. Just a monstrous workload. I don't, I, I'm not... I don't think that he's going to get anything close to that. I don't see uh, a situation without injury to David Montgomery where Tariq Cohen becomes the primary uh, carrying back, the primary rushing back in the, on this team. But I'm not worried about him breaking either. He, he, has, he has a track record of being able to carry the weight. So you don't disagree that his rush work is likely to go down? Or do you still think he's going to be at 99? He had 99 rush attempts last year versus 87 the year before. Meanwhile, for comparison, for comparison, before you answer, sorry, uh, Jordan Howard in 2017 got 276 rush attempts and went down to 250 last year. So I'm, I'm looking at what I have projection, my projection here for Tariq Cohen. I think that this year I've got him at just 21% of the, of the rushes. And, and as a team, they will be running the ball something like 445 times. So, I'm giving the I'm given the lion's share of, of the rushing work to David Montgomery. And if he's healthy, he's getting over 200 carries. Yeah, I you know so what did you say the number was last year? Like 250 something 250 like that. 250 right on for for Jordan Howard. Meanwhile, each year he got fewer and fewer receiving passing targets. 50 his rookie year, then 32, and then 26 last year. While Tree Cohen went up from 71 to 91 targets last year. And that's fine. He can stay there at 90, 80 something targets. Meanwhile, there's room for Jordan Howard to still get, I mean, not Jordan Howard, the new replacement who for Jordan Howard, who can actually catch the ball this time in David Montgomery, he can get a good 50 of his own. I, I guess I'm also a little bit worried about Mike Davis here. So, you know, in the in the argument of Tariq Cohen over David Montgomery, I I feel like the only person here that I'm not sure is able to do everything, even though he did show it in college, it is is David Montgomery, and I feel like Tariq Cohen has 
just he, he's just he's niched into that. So Cohen, regardless of the other two, is not changing is what you're anticipating, and you just fear that Jordan that uh that David Montgomery is not going to be just take over everything that Jordan Howard did, but that uh, Mike Davis is going to take a portion of that as well. And that's what's going to hold his points down below Cohen's. Yeah, I, I think so. And I guess I'm taking, I'm taking Mike Davis's share, whatever that is out of David Montgomery. So out of 445 rushes, I, it seems reasonable to me that David Montgomery gets 200 or, you know, 225, but I still think that there's enough there for for Cohen to get maybe a little bit less than what he had last year, 75. And if he keeps his share of the passing work, I, I like that. I like him at his cost. He was, I'll admit, you know, I had him on some rosters, Cohen. He was a little bit unpredictable at the start. Towards the, towards the end of the season, he really got going. And then in the playoffs again, they just stopped using him. So, so that may be the downside to having a Tariq Cohen on your roster versus a David Montgomery. Like there, there's not. I don't think there's really going to be a situation where Tariq Cohen becomes the guy. But in a in a sort of median projection, I like him more than David Montgomery. All right. So going back just to last year again, just for context, Jordan Howard had 180. Uh, fantasy points in PPR that was good enough for 20th overall running backs. And then Tariq Cohen was the RB11 with 233.9. And of course, that was full 16 games for each of them. I mean, that's like three points more per game for Tariq Cohen. So basically what we're saying is that that's the difference of one and a half catches per a game shifting over to Jordan Howard. And then you replace Jordan Howard with Montgomery and they would be even. Right. Am I doing that right? Yeah, I follow you. So it it, it doesn't take much of that passing work to go the other way for them to level out. Yeah. Cause that passing those that one, you know, catch is a one is a two point swing when it goes to the other player. So, yeah, he's not far behind, you know, so if you want to say, if you want to say Cohen is a little more insulated and Montgomery has to fight with Davis, I guess that's the best argument um, that I I, I would hear against it. But uh, I think they could end up pretty even um, next year. All right. We're not going to try and go too deep into these because obviously we're not the the most prepared in the fully in depth on every single one of these. I mean, I, I did not look up all the relevant information on um, reclining seats on planes. So <laughs> it's uh, exactly five degrees. I did the research here. Yeah, you did. That's true. You did. You pulled out five degrees. <laughs> exactly five degrees. You know what? Has anyone? This is the engineer in me. Has anyone ever? just literally leaned back in one of those chairs and marveled at the engineering feat it is to always keep the tray at a perfect level parallel with the floor even after they lean back. 
And no one ever has wondered about that. When they lean back, your drink doesn't lean with it. You ever wondered about that? Self-adjust. It's an engineering marvel. It self-adjusts to stay level. That That's, that's impressive. Next time you're on a plane, check it out. I, I, when they lean back, your drink doesn't tip back five degrees. But the movement enough could shake some out. That's the jostle abruptness part of it. Yes, absolutely. It's an engineering marvel. Check it out next time you're on a plane. Underrated. I know, right? The things I think about. Hey, look, flights are boring, and I've been on a lot of them. All right, here we go. We're going to do, let's pick out one more. Which one are you going to do? I, I kind of don't want to do, that. We, we talked about a San Francisco player already. So I kind of just want to go with the Dalvin one. That's fine. Okay. So the argument is, the topic is, is Dalvin Cook ready to jump into the top six running backs? Is he ready to supplant one of these top six? Now, the top six I have in my mind right now, according to ADPs, is, of course, Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson, and Melvin Gordon. And then after that, it's... Now, of course, this is taking into consideration ADP drop for, for Todd Gurley. I would argue Todd Gurley maybe should be ahead of Gordon. But I'm going off of ADP here. Perceived finishes in how they're getting drafted right now. Do you agree? Yeah. All yeah. right. So... Side A is going to be arguing for Dalvin making the jump this season. And, of course, side B is not. So the winner of the coin flip gets to argue for. Here we go. I get to argue for Dalvin Cook. And I believe it's my turn to go first. You're more than welcome to. (laughs) (laughs) So here's the thing with Dalvin Cook. Look, I was one of the few out there saying hold the boat for him last year. People were really excited. I'm looking at you, Halal, on Twitter. Uh, Drafting this guy way early. Talking about him being a top 10 running back. Maybe one of, I mean, when people were thinking about what Christian McCaffrey were going to do, a lot of people were envisioning Dalvin Cook doing that you know rather than christian mccaffrey okay so we saw christian mccaffrey do it last year when he had a full healthy season he was out there all the time now we go one full year removed from his acl he's had a chance to finally get over all the injuries and he's in a perfect system for him we saw how much that offense turned in just very small sample size we saw of only like three games but they definitely turned to a true 50-50 pass-to-run ratio in those last three games when they'd gotten rid of DiFilippo, you know, the offensive coordinator who who he kept telling him to stop throwing the ball, and he said, screw you, and kept throwing it anyway. Well, he's not there anymore. Now it's Kubiak. Good old Kubiak. He's going to run the ball, going back to coaches versus players. Well, this is a combination of coach and talent. The Dalvin Cook can do it. We've seen when he is used in that full 
every down roll. He catches the ball. He runs the ball. He does it all. Health is the concern, but we all thought, what, Christian McCaffrey can't hold up under that kind of workload. We all thought, you know, all these different things. We've seen it happen. Even if he puts up, he's the guy I see. When I say jumping up in the top six, I see him jumping ahead of Melvin Gordon, basically. Because Melvin Gordon had these kind of games where he had some nagging injuries. He'd have a slow game or even sit out two, three games a season, right? But in the games he played, he had top five finishes. That's the kind of thing I see for Dalvin Cook. And he's has an, I think he has enough of those this season to jump him into that top six. And who knows about other injuries? Who knows how? I mean, we all have big hopes for David Johnson, Alvin Kamara, uh, can Christian McCaffrey repeat? There's a lot, a lot happens over the course of the season. So again, this is intersection of the talent and the coach. I think Dalvin Cook is is set to be the new guy to jump into that top tier. Well, I, I would say that there are really only a couple of things that you need to know about Dalvin Cook. Number one, in two in two years in the NFL, he has started four and ten games. Okay, according to ProFootballReference.com. So to to expect him to come all the way back to sixteen seems very optimistic. The other thing is that the Minnesota Vikings last year ran. 20 they were 20th in in plays per game so in an offense like that who who has now gotten rid of you know the offensive coordinator who wanted to throw the ball and fully embraced this identity of you know strong defense running game they're they're probably going to be sinking even further in that plays per game which is only going to depress the the points of their fantasy relevant players are able to score you know with knowing those things there is just no one in this top six that i can put dalvin ahead of you know ezekiel has all of the volume ezekiel elliott has all of the volume in the world saquon barkley is i don't think anyone's really arguing for dalvin ahead of them christian mccaffrey alvin Kamara. david johnson it looks to be on an up-and-coming offense and and has all of the opportunity share there that you could want. I, I guess there's a chance that the Cardinals just fail, but I'm not, I'm not betting on that this year. I, I just, I don't see anyone in this top six, Melvin Gordon. I mean, he's just, he's done it. He's, he's had, he's had the, you know, the kind of average couple of games a year that he's missing, but to, to put Dalvin up into that group, when we, we, even Melvin Gordon has finished 7th, 5th, and 8th in the last three years, he just feels like a lot safer bet to me. So, you know, the Vikings don't want to score a lot of points. They want to they ground, they want to grind games out. Dalvin does not have a great history of staying on the field. And those top six running backs look pretty cemented in to me well what you just said is is why i think maybe todd Gurley should be ahead of uh melvin gordon because honestly melvin gordon he has what one top six finish fifth uh the other year's seventh eighth he the only reason he's in this top six is because others like bell and Gurley falling out you know so 
I think Dalvin Cook could easily finish ahead of Melvin Gordon. And of course, you always have the opportunity for the, the, the chance that David Johnson and the Cardinals fail, like you said. And, you know, we don't want to talk about injury. And so I'm not going to count for injury. So in case you're wondering, I'm leaving that out of it because that always happens every year. I had, every to, year. I had to play that card. Well, you no, I don't even that. mean – no, 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 no. <laughs> you take me wrong. I'm not even talking about da- Dalvin Cook injury. I'm talking about injury to the other players ahead of him in that top six because every year we do our projections and we do our ranks and we're like, oh, my goodness – there's two. There's more than 12 players in my top 12. How is this possible? It's because every year one or two of them get injured and f- at least fall out or just completely are out for the season. You know, we have David Johnson a couple of years ago, Bell with the contract issues. I mean, th- this happens, unfortunately. So we can't account for that. So I'm just saying with the players we have, if we give them full seasons, I still see Cook getting ahead of, ahead of Melvin Gordon, who, by the way, had the injury, you know, nag, uh, injury-prone tag against him after that rookie year going in, and every year he has a few missed games. He has one 16-game season on his career, as far as I'm aware. Um, so I easily can see him beating out on Melvin Gordon to get into that top six, even without any other injuries. Here's one thing I want to consider. You talked about plays per game. Let's go back. I know it's a long time ago, but let's go back to 2017, okay? Yes, they had fewer players, but you know what they had the most in the league of? Rush attempts. The most rush attempts in the league. Dalvin Cook's first year. Then he got injured, and it was a McKinnon-Latavius Murray tag team, okay? And guess what that team did with... Case Keenum as quarterback that the 2018 season team was not able to do. They contended in the playoffs, okay? Yes, their plays may have gone down, but I see, again, them reemphasizing a balanced attack because they're going to be looking back, and this is exactly why the head coach got rid of DiFilippo and brought in Kubiak because they want that balanced attack to compete for, from an NFL perspective, they're not concerned about passing yards. And, you know, even if even if all our metrics, you know, guys are trying to tell them they should be, they are looking at it and saying, look, we just need to grind out wins. We need to run the ball, stay in games. This is how they are thinking they are going to win and compete. And you look at, you brought up the Saints when we were talking about, you know, other other players um, or the coach versus players. One thing interesting about the Saints is they started getting more competitive and actually not just having flashy offenses, but actually competing and contending in the playoffs when they started pulling back the pass attempts and they started emphasizing the defense more and they've always had lots of rush, rush attempts there. Um, partly out of, they've always had a lot of running back fantasy points there, but a lot of it was like sprawls and receiving work and so on. So what I picture for the Vikings in 2019 is a much more balanced attack, which even if they have lesser plays is going to mean more rush attempts, there's still going to be plenty of work there. 
you know, the more I think about it, if I'm if I'm going to buy uh, like a second round running back who has RB1 upside, I'm not sure that I don't like Todd Gurley better than Dalvin Cook. I, I've got him at 50% of the team's rushes with only 10% of the targets, which is, you know, a, a decrease in both from last year. Last year, Todd Gurley had 62% of the rushes and 14% of the targets. So even dropping him all the way down to 50 and 10, I've got him at RB8, and I feel like that's pretty pessimistic. So, you know, both guys have injury concerns. I like the banking on whoever's carrying the ball for the for the Rams better than I like the the you know, the Vikings and Dalvin Cook. So, Beyond those top five running backs that I don't think are moving, I think I might like Todd Gurley as a, as a bet more than I like Dalvin Cook. All right, all right. They can be five and six then. That's fine. <laughs> all right, we did. I think we stretched that one out as much as we can. Um, Dalvin Cook, there's a there's a big tier of guys after you get past those ADP top six. Like I say, I keep saying that ADP top six because I agree – I would have Gurley ahead of Melvin Gordon. Um, Dalvin Cook, Melvin Gordon is a pretty close line for me. And I've also been flirting with Nick Chubb there, um, especially after going over their projections. Um, that that Cleveland sheet, it's amazing what Nick Chubb did with only 10 games worth of work last year and on an offense that... Um, Definitely, it could be a better passing attack this this season for sure, but I'm not sure that actually limits Nick Chubb. That could actually, um, that could actually unlock more points, more opportunity for him, at least touchdowns at the at the least. So uh, Nick Chubb is someone I, I I can easily see right in that same little tier there. Um, definitely a early second rounder for me depending on what strategy I'm taking with receivers and everything you know whatever Nick Chubb had more passing game work than I really thought you know towards the end of the season it was three targets three targets he had a six target game three seems to pretty much be the baseline you know that that's usually the knock you hear on Nick Chubb is that he's not getting any passing game work but he's at least somewhat active he, he's capable with those dump-offs. He's as capable, if not more, than you'd want him to be with those dump-offs and just short, you know, outside passes. Uh, he's definitely capable. So he just needs to be on the field. All right, Josh. I think, I think that's about as long as we can go arguing about stuff that doesn't matter. Um, no. A lot. Some of these do matter a lot. I mean, Ertz, Kittle, Ertz Kittle is whatever. We started out that one for fun. But, uh, you know, picking these running backs, that's unfortunately picking the right running backs can be the difference between winning your league or not. And at the same time, it's the thing we have the least amount of consistent predictive, you know, ability, you know, to pick which one it's going to be. We... It's it's what we're worst at predicting, and it's what oftentimes makes the biggest difference. Sounds about right. 
So you just have to go, I'm fine with taking safe options, which is probably why Gurley has fallen because people are thinking I'm not burning, I'm not taking that risk. But sometimes you gotta risk it to win it. So some people may end up cashing out based on that that risk and others might be uh, laughing at those fools later on. We'll see. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I, I I would need to go back and look at my Chicago projection here and figure out what I want to do because I'm not – now after talking to you, I don't know. I think I'm too low on Montgomery. Maybe I need to just wipe Mike Davis off the face of the earth. Aha, uh-huh, I want him over. <laughs> not sure. No, I actually like Mike Davis. Um, he's a little underrated. I, I don't know if he's going to take much. I think Montgomery could still get over 200, but he may not get to that 250. Yeah, it may be tough. May depend a lot on how good the Bears are. That's true. That's true. And and they drafted a couple of receivers, and they have Allen Robinson. You know, a full year removed from coming back from his ACL. So some people think you know he can finally make that full leap back to full full uh, pr- production, and uh, it'll be interesting to see for sure. It's really going to depend on Trubisky as far as the offense as a whole. He's going to either hold them back or uh, or let them go. I buy that he could develop. He only started a year in college, and, and then his first year in the NFL was with John Fox. I, I buy that he could make a step forward. Yeah, I'm just not sure if he's Blake Bortles or Carson Wentz. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> Yeah. Hi, Josh. Thanks for joining me. A little bit of short notice, but we made it happen. And uh, I think we talked about a bunch of different things here. So I hope somebody out there got something out of it. Um, I'm going to be trying to get another podcast out for you next week, but it's going to be a little tight. I got a mini vacation and uh, we'll see if I can make it work with my guest. So keep an eye out and. Uh, Talk to you next time. If you haven't heard me say it before, DM me about the chat. You can get in on GroupMe. We have a good time there. And also keep an eye out for I've been doing the my product my projections for each team. And uh, when I am able to, I live stream on Twitch and YouTube, just hanging out with whoever happens to show up. And also the video just kind of goes on YouTube as an archive. You can always reference it in the future when you see something on my predictions that seems ridiculous you can go back and see how i got there these are first passes so there will be some tweaks in the future but i'm kind of running through them all just to get baselines and get the basic information and players and stats in there how i like them um so keep an eye out for that you can either follow me on twitch fusion ffb is the account there on youtube same thing fusion fantasy football and then uh if you follow me at fusion ffb on twitter also usually give you a shout out when i'm about to go on thanks for joining me josh where can the people follow you wherever you would like them to you can follow me on twitter at jc crocker and then you can also find some of my work at uh, playerprofiler.com i wrote, just wrote a piece about teams that could have multiple top 24 wide receivers and then 
another one will be coming out soon about Rashad Penny and what kind of season he may be having. So check that out. All right. I didn't even know about that one. Sneak peek. Here we go. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Thanks, you. Thank you.